This is your radio station, Lake of the Ozarks, 89.3 KEYK, Osage Beach, Missouri, The Key. Stacy Johnson, and this is your Lake Expo News Cut for Wednesday, May 17th. An Osage Beach man was injured Monday after his motorcycle struck a turtle on Route U. 59-year-old John Safel was driving a Harley-Davidson when the motorcycle hit the turtle. The Highway Patrol says that caused the motorcycle to travel off the right side of the road and hit a sign. He suffered moderate injuries and was taken to Lake Regional Hospital. It's one of the highlights of the summer at Lake of the Ozarks, the great shootout treasure hunt. Kids and adults comb the beaches of Captain Ron's and search a buried treasure and, shockingly, good prizes. And this year, the grand prize is a new ATV four-wheeler, courtesy of Sir Ike Yamaha. The treasure hunt's Saturday, June 3rd. The fun begins with frozen custard, courtesy of Andy's, at 5 in the afternoon. Then the digging starts at 6 o'clock. Tickets cost $25 at the gate, but buy online beforehand and save $5 a person. All the proceeds go to shootout charities. Just can't wait for deer season? Squirrel season opens Saturday, May 27th. The daily limit for hunting squirrels is 10, and the possession limit is 20. That's enough to make a pretty good big Ozark stew. This has been your Lake Expo News Cut. All this news and more at lakeexpo.com. Lake news events, boating, and the lake life, lakeexpo.com. The goal of Key Radio is to offer the community an opportunity to share information and to express their ideas and opinions. Key Radio presents a platform for all types of information. We encourage interested content providers to create podcasts that explain the finer points of business, family issues, arts and entertainment, religion, government, and more. Key Radio is also looking for unique and one-of-a-kind podcasts as well. Key Radio is based on positive and productive podcasts that encourage and inspire our listeners to become engaged in their community. For more information on becoming a content provider, call 573-280-0532 or go to keygatheringplace.com slash keyradio. You're listening to 89.3 The Key. with your Key Radio Lake TV sports update for this Wednesday. We've got some more high school playoff baseball on the way today involving local teams. So 20-10 and 10 Eldon taking on 14-11 and 11 California in the district championship game at his Inverse Sales. So Eldon very hot the second half of the season looking for a district championship with a win over California today. Eldon beat Osage in the semifinals to advance California beat Versailles. Also today, 29-4 Camdenton looking to keep their state championship hopes alive. They have got a tough game against 23-5 Glendale. Lakers have won 11 of their last 12, one of the best teams in the state. Glendale really good too. Camdenton beat Glendale a couple of weeks ago in regular season play. As for college baseball, final series of the regular seasons coming up this weekend for both Mizzou and MSU. The Tigers, uh, they come off 
off a sweep over Georgia last week. They will play at Auburn starting uh, tomorrow. MSU Bears, their last series of the regular season at home against Indiana State. The Bears currently in second place in the Valley Conference. As far as Major League Baseball, the Cardinals losing last night to the Brewers 3-2. The Cards have won 7 of 9, though. They're seven and a half games behind Milwaukee in the division. They'll close out that series against the Brewers today. Royals, of course, they have struggled all year long. They close out a series in San Diego against the Padres today. First voluntary offseason workouts start next Monday for the Chiefs. The first OTAs, Chiefs, of course, reigning champions in the NFL. Lake TV brings you five local lake area shows, including the Community Spotlight Show, Get to Know Local People Better. Some uh, business leaders or nonprofit leaders, school leaders, check it out. The Community Spotlight Show every day at 902, 302, and 702 on Lake TV. I'm Chris Schneider with your Key Radio Lake TV sports update for this Wednesday. A portion of the programming on Key Radio is brought to you by our media partners at Lake TV. Winter, spring, summer, fall, Lake TV's got it all, including five local talk shows to keep you informed and entertained. You can also see local high school football in the fall and basketball in the winter. Watch Lake TV on Como Channel 90 or absolutely free on Roku or Amazon Fire and always streaming live at MyLakeTV.com. And if you haven't liked Lake TV on Facebook, be sure you do that too. Part of the solution. Join the lake's only community radio station, 89.3, The Key. All right, it is 807, and good morning. It looks like we are in store for a beautiful day at the Lake of the Ozarks. I can't wait for all this sunshine. A mix of uh, maybe some clouds and sun. They're saying generally sunny. Uh, 
and a high today of 81 degrees. So we're getting there. Mostly clear, 55, the expected low tonight. Back up to 84 and sunny tomorrow. Showers and 74 on Friday. Good chance uh, for that rain at about 60%. Sunny on Saturday and 74. Partly cloudy and 78 on Sunday. And then uh, sunshine for Monday. Looks like... uh, We'll hit a high of around 80 on uh, the 22nd and then jump into 80-degree weather. Start with 80 and then slowly progress our way from uh, low to mid-80s up to uh, mid to upper 80s for the Memorial Day weekend at the Lake of the Ozarks. I'm certainly glad you could join us, and I hope that you will uh, take some time to hang around and listen to what we've uh, got going on. We are anticipating a phone call from the senator. The good Senator, Mr. Bill Eigel, who will be joining us, a member of the Conservative Caucus. He and I will do a bit of a look back on the legislative session that was for the Missouri Legislature for 2023. I would imagine, as is the case, there will be some folks that are happy about some things and uh, maybe not so much. Current lake level at 657.76, river level at 551.72, surface water temp at 69 degrees. Now that the legislative session is completed, some of these things will be going to the governor's desk. They'll have the, uh, what's that, uh, the veto session, all of that good stuff, and I guess a chance to revive some of this legislation that uh, has passed and will end up on the governor's desk. We'll see how it all goes. I do have an article Uh, that I saw this morning regarding the legislative session from uh, MissouriIndependent.com. And uh, it says, After two years of drama and gridlock, the Missouri Senate showed up in January determined to put the conflict between the Conservative Caucus and the GOP leadership in the past. And I guess that's certainly something we can talk to the good senator about here this morning. Uh, As you can tell, he is ready to join us. Let's get him on the horn and uh, talk about the legislative session that was for 2023. Senator Eigel, good morning to you, sir. What is going on? Hey, good morning. Thanks for having me. It's, uh, it, well, the, the, good, the only good news is that I guess our pocketbooks are safe because the legislature is out of session, so <laughs> we have a lot to talk about. <laughs> and if you don't mind me asking, how long do we have before this morning? Uh, well, uh, I'm, I'm free for the next 20 minutes. Life is good. <laughs> Very good. Well, we will concentrate on uh, on this legislative session. So first and foremost, uh, as a member of the Conservative Caucus, do you think that uh, things ended up on a high note where there's some uh, obviously some things that we needed to make sure uh, that were at least addressed this legislative session? And uh, do you feel and do uh, other representatives and senators feel as though you folks got enough done? No, absolutely not. 100% no. I would give us an F uh, as far as a grade for the session, and I think that a lot of Republicans ought to be very, very discouraged and frustrated uh, by what they saw or what they didn't see coming out of the legislature. I think that we ultimately did one good thing, uh, this year, and that was uh, put into place the protections uh, for kids from the transgen- transgender industry that is trying to mutilate and castrate them. And we also, on the same kind of on the same topic, uh, we put in a state law that boys can't play in girls' sports. I can't believe I never thought that I would get into office to have to make a law that that says that. But here we are, and we've right. done it. So that was the one. Uh, that was the one good bright spot uh, amongst the legislation. Everything else, I think, uh, virtually everything else would would be a major disappointment for me. We we passed a budget that's bigger than we've ever 
uh, passed a budget before. We now we are now so reliant on the federal government to pay our bills with federal dollars. Mm-hmm. We're more dependent on the federal government than any other state of the union. Almost 50% of our budget comes from the federal government. So for anybody that believes in the idea of state sovereignty, it was a very bad session. Yes. Uh, we didn't take action. Uh, we didn't cut personal property taxes. We didn't uh, protect Missouri farmland from being bought by overseas interests. We didn't uh, get a, a petition to reform our initiative petition uh, over the finish line so that out-of-state special interests can't hijack and lie to Missouri and, and get very bad changes in our Constitution. So there is a lot to be disappointed about. We left a lot of work undone. And, you know, I, I, we, we have got to get to a Missouri uh, the Missouri I'm thinking about is one where we're doing all those big red things. You know, you know, Ron DeSantis down in Florida has less Republicans in the Florida legislature than what we have here in Missouri, and he's able to get a lot more done. So it's frustrating to me that we continually find ways to uh, to take to 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 grab defeat from the jaws of victory in the legislature. So we've got a lot of work to do. I want to go back to something that you talked about, two things, the transgender issue uh, and uh, receiving all of this uh, federal money. Uh, do you think at some point the transgender issue will be addressed on the federal level? Uh, it, it's already being addressed on the federal level. We're trying to do something here about it on the state level. And that uh, federal money will be uh, uh, something that is utilized to get states to uh, kind of go the way of the federal government and say, as far as transgender athletes are concerned, uh, we're going to allow them to uh, compete as uh, as originally planned here, and if states don't comply, hey, guess what? We're going to hold on to your federal funding for for highways and transportation, for schools, uh, and anything else we can uh, we can do to uh, to get you to comply with what we want. Because you know we don't want people feeling left out. However, on the flip side of that coin. I think about this, and, you know, why isn't there a movement from the transgender community to, to set up some kind of a, uh, a, a group or organization that supports transgender sports, that essentially transgender athletes compete against one another as opposed to the way that it is done now? So I know that was quite a mouthful. I'll give you a moment to, to, to possibly process it, and then, uh, and then give me your thoughts. Well, I, I would say the first thing, when we talk about the federal government, I am completely out of the habit of hoping that any good uh, ideas or solutions are going to come from Washington, D.C. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that the best thing that we can do for our state is to decouple uh, our activities and ourselves from federal dollars that are trying to enforce precisely the kind of behaviors that you are describing. So uh, right now, as the state that's most dependent on federal money, we're most at risk. Whether it's this issue, you know, whether it's getting the state to comply on the transgender issue, or it's 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 another issue that we're not talking about today. We've got to reduce our reliance on the federal government. So the world that I'm looking at, you know, I've started an exploratory run for for governor in 2024, and in that world, uh, we're going to be in Missouri where we're reducing our reliance, dramatically reducing our reliance on federal dollars, so that the federal government can't come in and tell us how to act, tell us what to do, and use the threat of the reduction of federal dollars as the stick that gets us to do things that, quite frankly, are probably going to be outside our value set as a very big red state with conservative principles. Mm-hmm. So uh, that this the problem that we're at now, where we're so dependent, we need to, be, we need to candidly look at ourselves in the mirror and realize it wasn't Democrats that did that. 
You know, Republicans have been in charge in this state for 20 years. It's been Republican budgets that have put us at a vulnerable place for how much we're taking for the federal government. And now it's going to be up to Republicans to get us out of this problem. You know, that we've had seven years. I've been in the Senate. This was my seventh year that I just completed. And in those seven years, I've had a, I've had a Republican governor every one of those years. And now in those seven years, the Republican governors have submitted budgets that have been approved by the legislature that have grown the size of government more in those seven years that in all the years that we've had a Democratic governor in this state, in all the years that Missouri has been part of the union. I mean, the, the problems of expanding government are Republican-owned at this point. And we've gotten away from what we keep promising in campaign season, that we're going to make government smaller, that we're going to have a government that's limited, because we get down to Jefferson City and we do something else. And I think a lot of that problem comes from a crop of statewide leaders Mike Parson, Jay Ashcroft, Mike Kehoe, who are not unifying the party by calling on us to do Republican things. I mean, everybody's talking about now, well, you know, what's all this dysfunction in the legislature? Why are Republicans fighting? They're fighting because our senior leaders are calling on us to not do Republican things. You, if, you, if you tell Republicans, raise the gas tax, that's not a Republican thing. Mm. If you tell Republicans, let's grow the size of, of government, that's not a Republican thing. I'm going to be the guy. I'm going to be the warrior that's going to get in there and call on us to do the things that we already promised we would do in campaign season. And that's how we're going to restore not just trust in the Republican brand, but we're going to get Missouri to the place so that when Ron DeSantis wakes up in the morning and he turns on his TV, he's going to say, man, look at all the great things Missouri's doing. How does Florida be more like Missouri? Mm. That's the future we're trying to get to. Well, again, I would say when you've got a budget that uh, that the state of Missouri has, uh, you know, I, I, the money's there. Okay, so it's right there on the table. Right. Let's spend it. Let's find a way to put it to uh, to work for Missourians. And 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 I can hear a lot of people saying that. But I always kind of thought that you know you got a little uh, surplus, maybe a little extra. Let's start a rainy day fund. Let's put some money away so that we've got some things in place in the event things kind of go cattywampus on us and and we find ourselves in a situation where maybe the economy or other things uh, that would influence, uh, you know, the, the way our state does business or the way that we uh, want the state to go uh, can, can can remain in place, possibly, uh, depending on, on what the people want. One of the things I wanted to ask you about as well is uh, in this article that I was quoting earlier from the MissouriIndependent.com, it had said mm-hmm. that, uh, of course, um, uh, after two years of drama and gridlock, the Missouri Senate showed up in January determined to put the conflict between the conservative caucus and GOP leadership in the past. Is that something that you feel uh, was accomplished during this legislative session? Did you work closer uh, overall as a, as a party? It sounds to me like uh, maybe that didn't uh, go as planned. Well, I think for the first uh, four-plus months, uh, we there was a, a wide opportunity without a lot of infighting to move big Republican priorities. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, during that time, it didn't happen. Not only did the budget get passed, and that was an entire, that was a total disaster, but we failed to pass all those big ideas uh, that we were talking about. Now, I would tell you certainly in the last week, uh, the, the former members of the conservative caucus, myself included, started taking a more hardline approach saying, hey, you know, it looks like we've wasted four plus months not getting big things done. And we passed a lot of 
special interest bills that aren't really going to change the trajectory of the state. So we began standing up and saying, listen, if we're not going to do those big, big thing, big red things, we're not doing anything at all. I mean, on the last day, we had a conversation about personal property tax, you know, and I stood up and said, we have passed plenty of special interest bills. If we're not going to cut personal property taxes, we're not doing anything else. And that kind of brought the chamber to a halt because we found that uh, our leadership and uh, too many of our Republican colleagues, they just weren't ready to do the big Republican things, do those big red things that were going to change the course of the state. So uh, it was frustrating. It didn't feel like a more diplomatic approach didn't work. And then the hardline approach didn't work. So it tells me that the fix is probably going to have to come from the people themselves. I mean, we they have been in the Missouri Republican primaries of the past couple cycles, have been electing individuals that are willing to cut against the grain, that are willing to stand out from the crowd and push back on the status quo, or as we like to call it, the swamp of Jefferson City. And I think that's going to continue in 2024. And we're going to elect leaders in this state, in the state Senate, the governor's office, you name it, that are going to overcome the power of the swamp in Jefferson City. And if we don't, if we elect another Mike Kehoe, if we elect another Jay Ashcroft, then we're just going to get more of the same mediocrity that we've seen in this state and stagnation that we've seen in this state and Republicans doing Democratic things that we've seen in this state for the past 20 years. Is that what it seems more or less like is going on in Jefferson City? It gets down to the wire and then everybody wants to be friends. But prior to that, uh, you've got more Republicans that are moving toward the middle that want to kind of hold hands, make s'mores and sing kumbaya with the Democrats. And uh, a lot of things that uh, uh, traditionally people, especially in uh, in the Lake area and, and I know in Camden County, would like to see uh, get done. More or less uh, just the fact that uh, we're not really moving this in the direction, as, as you alluded to here this morning, uh, that a lot of Missourians would, would like to see things, uh, where, where, where Missourians would like to see things go. School choice, for example, I know that was a huge issue in this legislative session. Where do you, where do you kind of find that, uh, that whole thing? Is it, uh, is it still kind of a mess? Uh, does it seem like maybe some things got accomplished this year that you could put to work uh, when the legislative session begins in 2024? What about school choice and the importance uh, of that, especially with what uh, you're hearing, I'm sure, from a lot of parents. Well, I, as, as you know, I, I've always been a supporter of school choice, whether that means an expansion of charter schools, whether that means an expansion of voucher programs. However, however, I have also said, and I think there is a very necessary and, and uh, uh, pertinent conversation here, that another big problem we have in our education system is that we have a Department of Elementary and Secondary Education that is now so overbearing, has so much oversight and control of local school boards, and is so devastating uh, in how they are basically running as tyrants over local school boards, that local school boards and public schools have very little room to maneuver. Right. So a conversation, we can have a conversation about school choice, of which I've always been supportive, but if we do just school choice and don't reform the broken institution of DESE, we're kind of spinning our wheels mm-hmm. uh, because then you're just going to trade a government-run monopoly for potentially a corporate-run one. That's not going to be any better. We've got to have a governor that's going to be willing to take on the powerful special interests outside of government and inside of government and get in there and reform the Department of Elementary and Secondary Education. And by the way, when I say reform, I mean starting to defund it. You know, DESE used to be a an office of about a half a dozen people and their only job was to write checks 
to the local public schools. Now it's an institution of more than 2,000 people, and it, it serves as an oversight and enforcement board to local public schools that are so busy trying to keep up with the requirements being placed on them by Jefferson City that our outcomes are starting to, to take a drop. So we've got to have both sides of this equation. If you have one side or the other alone, I don't think that's going to get it there and start producing better results. I think that uh, Jill Carter had a, a great idea, Senator uh, Jill Carter, and her, uh, her her bill, I believe it was SB 85, about returning control to the local schools. I think it was a great idea. Right. I think she had some, uh, yeah. some, some marvelous points. I had the chance to discuss that with her earlier in the year. Uh, did that really seem to make any any kind of an impact uh, during this legislative session? It, it it sounds to me like maybe it didn't really kind of have the teeth that she uh, wanted it to have. Well, you know, it's mentioned. It's funny you mentioned Jill Carter. She just tried to call me on my cell phone while we're on this interview. She just tried to call me. <laughs> she was so reminding you to like, talk about her bill. <laughs> <laughs> maybe she, as soon as you said Jill Carter's House Bill 85, my phone beeped and it was Jill Carter. Mm. Uh, so first of all, you're absolutely right about House or, or excuse me, Senate Bill 85. I was a, I'm a supporter of Senate Bill 85. I had many conversations with Jill Carter about that bill. It would basically allow school districts, if they had a certain minimum level of local funding to opt out to opt out of some of the control and oversight of DESE. That's the, the very basic terms of it. And I think that'd be a great thing. I, I, we, don't, I don't, we don't need oversight and control and enforcement from Jefferson City. That's not a Republican message. But of course, Senate Bill 85 was another bill that got tripped up and overwhelmed by the status quo of Jefferson Diddy. These these are the kind of failures that we're going to remember for a long time and that will echo into the off-season for the legislature of things that we should have got, gotten done that we didn't get done. And people will be, you know, when I say people, the people of Missouri are going to continue to be more frustrated with what's not happening to reform all this broken government in the state of Missouri as a result. So my hope is I know she's going to bring that bill back next year. I'm going to be as much a supporter of that bill next year as I was this year. If I'm never the governor of this state, I'm going to be calling on precisely those kind of reforms to get done. So uh, it's a two it's a two phase approach. We've got to have some more choice and empowerment of parents. But we've got to reform Desi at the same time. There's so much to try and, and, and pack in here. And, and you had uh, mentioned the fact that you were looking into the possibility of running for governor uh, for the state mm-hmm. of Missouri. wanted to give you a little bit of an opportunity to kind of uh, let folks know uh, where you stand on things. And then maybe one more quick question if we have time on the tail end of that. But uh, as far as what you're doing now, kind of probing uh, and, and looking into what it might take to have a, uh, have a run at the uh, – uh, the seat of, of governor here in the state of Missouri. Uh, so what's on your mind? What are some of the things that you're looking at? Yeah, absolutely. You know, if I, first of all, if I thought that there was somebody in statewide office right now that was going to be that leader and warrior for the state of Missouri that could take on and be willing to challenge the special interests, I wouldn't be considering running myself. But I, I turn on my TV every day, and I'm tired of looking at other big red states having all the big red victories about passing conservative policies and becoming more economically competitive in our state when we elect more Republicans to Jefferson City than any of those states. And I am so frustrated with the pace of government that I feel like we've got to have a leader in 2024 in particular that's going to be able to come in and push back on the federal government, that's going to be able to come in and talk about a future of Missouri where, whether it's we're cutting personal property tax, protecting our farmland, improving our education outcomes, 
not just as saying those right things, but has the backbone to actually stand up to those special interests. And because I'm not, I haven't found it, I'm thinking about running to be that person myself. Now, I've put 26,000 miles on my, on my truck driving all over the state, and the disappointment that I'm hearing from Republicans about what isn't getting done in Jefferson City is intense, regardless if it's in our cities, in Jefferson, Jefferson City, St. Louis, or Kansas City, or it's in our rural areas or in our suburban areas. Everybody's frustrated and expects more. Well, we're going to have to, in 2024, decide to not pick the legacy status quo picks of Mike Kehoe or Jay Ashcroft. We've got to go with somebody who has built their time in politics as someone who's been willing to push back against that status quo. I'm that person, and although it's made me very unpopular in the hallways of Jefferson City, I think that is precisely the kind of message we're looking for from the people of this state in 2024. And I think you touch on something that's rather interesting when you say popular, being popular. Um, sometimes we uh, see legislators that have a tendency to uh, uh, do something that's popular as opposed to doing what is right. And certainly what comes down to representing their constituents and what their constituents sent them there for in the first place. Final question for you this morning, and I appreciate your time, Senator Eigel. So what now? Where do we go now that the legislative session is over what is uh, what is it that uh, you know the, the conservative caucus uh, the GOP leadership uh, uh, what are we hoping for when uh, when this all plays out now that we as soon as the dust settles I guess if you will up in Je- Jefferson City uh, on this uh, past legislative session well I, I tell you before the dust settles I've already uh, just today I'm coming out and calling on Governor Parson to call us to do a special session so that we can address the issue of foreign land. Uh, you know, that was a major priority of making sure whether it's China or anybody else can't buy our farmland in the state. We didn't get it done. I think we need to come into a special session to get that done. So I've already uh, I've already submitted a letter to the governor's office asking for that special session. I suspect there's going to be calls for additional special sessions for those big red ideas that we didn't get done in regular sessions. So the fight is not going to stop. We're not going to give up on these things. We're not going to abandon these principles. And I'm going to be traveling the state talking about these ideas, whether it's for 2024 or whether it's for a possible special session as soon as possible. So uh, the fight's not in. We're not not throwing in the towel whatsoever. We're going to keep going. Senator Bill Eigel, thank you so much for your time, sir. Certainly appreciate it and uh, hope to talk to you in the future. You bet. We'll talk soon. Thanks for having me. Absolutely, sir. And thank you for being a guest on The Daily Show. We will uh, take our bottom of the hour break. We've got Stacy Short with LakeExpo.com. Uh, Actually, we've got Stacy Johnson with LakeExpo.com. Uh, Sophie Shore was, uh, I meant to uh, thank her for uh, helping to put together this uh, info and this interview. And uh, so thank you, Sophie. And uh, Stacy Johnson is who we're going to hear from with LakeExpo.com and some local news. Also, we've got a check of sports coming your way. Chris Schneider and Lake TV, our great media partners. We thank both LakeExpo.com and Lake TV for uh, going on the ride. And you are listening to The Daily Show on Key Radio. Stacy Johnson, and this is your Lake Expo News Cut for Wednesday, May 17th. An Osage Beach man was injured Monday after his motorcycle struck a turtle on Route U. 59-year-old John Safel was driving a Harley-Davidson when the motorcycle hit the turtle. The highway patrol says that caused the motorcycle to travel off the right side of the road and hit a sign. He suffered moderate injuries and was taken to Lake Regional Hospital.
It's one of the highlights of the summer at Lake of the Ozarks, the great shootout treasure hunt. Kids and adults comb the beaches of Captain Ron's and search a buried treasure and, shockingly, good prizes. And this year, the grand prize is a new ATV four-wheeler courtesy of Sirdike Yamaha. The treasure hunt Saturday, June 3rd. The fun begins with frozen custard courtesy of Andy's at 5 in the afternoon. Then the digging starts at 6 o'clock. Tickets cost $25 at the gate, but buy online beforehand and save $5 a person. All the proceeds go to shootout charities. Just can't wait for deer season? Squirrel season opens Saturday, May 27th. The daily limit for hunting squirrels is 10, and the possession limit is 20. That's enough to make a pretty good big Ozark stew. This has been your Lake Expo News Cut. All this news and more at lakeexpo.com. Lake news events, boating, and the lake life, lakeexpo.com. Portions of the programming on Key Radio are made possible through a generous donation from lakeexpo.com. LakeExpo.com is a locally owned daily news website connecting residents, second homeowners, visitors, and the boating community to the Lake of the Ozarks. Lake Expo features real estate and boats for sale, upcoming events at the lake, and their exclusive boating club, X-Toe. Download the free Lake Expo app on the App Store and Google Play. LakeExpo.com, the lake's trusted news source. Schneider with your Key Radio Lake TV sports update for this Wednesday. We've got some more high school playoff baseball on the way today involving local teams. So 20 and 10 Eldon taking on 14 and 11 California in the district championship game at his inverse sales. So Eldon very hot the second half of the season looking for a district championship with a win over California today. Eldon beat Osage in the semifinals to advance California you beat Versailles. Also today, 29-4 Camdenton, looking to keep their state championship hopes alive. They have got a tough game against 23-5 Glendale. Lakers have won 11 of their last 12, one of the best teams in the state. Glendale, really good too. Camdenton beat Glendale a couple of weeks ago in regular season play. As for college baseball, final series of the regular seasons coming up this weekend for both Mizzou and MSU. The Tigers, uh, they come off a sweep over Georgia last week. They will play at Auburn starting uh, tomorrow. MSU Bears, their last series of the regular season at home against Indiana State. The Bears currently in second place in the Valley Conference. As far as Major League Baseball, the Cardinals losing last night to the Brewers 3-2. The Cards have won 7 of 9, though. They're 7.5 games behind Milwaukee in the division. They'll close out that series against the Brewers today. Royals, of course, they have struggled all year long. They close out a series in San Diego against the Padres today. First voluntary offseason workouts start next Monday for the Chiefs. The first OTAs, Chiefs, of course, reigning champions in the NFL. Lake TV brings you five local lake area shows, including the Community Spotlight Show, Get to Know Local People Better. Some uh, business leaders or nonprofit leaders, school leaders, check it out. The Community Spotlight Show every day at 902, 302, and 702 on Lake TV. I'm Chris Schneider with your Key Radio Lake TV sports update for this Wednesday. 
Join 89.3 The Key for the True History Professor program featuring Professor Jim Paisley. The national media now is kind of taking advantage of people. They hit you with a, you know, a big headline, and then they don't give you any information behind it. There's no context to it. Problem. And so what I'm going to try and do, uh, you know, on a weekly basis with the show is to try and share with you what, what were the events, what are the things behind the scenes here, what, what led to this. Professor Paisley takes a look back at history and how it relates to present-day events. But we take it on face value without having any knowledge of why it well it's because the news told us join professor jim paisley thursdays and saturdays at 6 a.m 2 p.m and 10 p.m for the true history professor program on 89.3 the key this is bill munhausen for creation expo many years ago dr francis schaefer posed the question how should we then live? If the Bible is true, what should we do about it? The first step is to accept Jesus as Lord. We can't accept the grace of God and go on living for self. If Jesus is Lord, we are called to do what he said in a personal way, to love our neighbor, to walk honorably, to seek wisdom, and to spread the gospel. The church collectively gets more complicated because we tend to get caught up in the mechanics instead of the mission. The mission of the church isn't to be a greeter or a choir member or a Sunday school teacher, not that those aren't good things. The mission, rather, is to be a teacher and safety net for those in need. James 1.27 reads, Pure, unstained religion, according to God our Father, is to take care of orphans and widows when they suffer, and to remain uncorrupted by this world. That's a great starting point for how we should then live. These 60-second messages are based on the book, XPO by Bill Munhausen, available in Amazon Books. There is a saying that there is no free lunch, meaning there is a cost to everything, even when it appears to be free. Your free account on social media costs you invisible connections to companies trying to sell you stuff. So it is, even with Key Radio, because there are costs to bring you local programming, and we need your help to pay the bills. If you love our purpose, please donate. If you need to use advertising dollars, Key Radio can give you a promotional benefit of sponsorship underwriting. Key Radio features programs in every area of life, politics, business, family, entertainment, education, faith, and media. In Christian circles, we refer to this as the Seven Mountains. We don't relegate any of these subjects to once a week, and we seek content rooted in truth more than opinion. If you have a message to get across, contact Bill M. at OrionCenter.org to talk about how Key Radio can help. The Lake of the Ozarks Community Radio Station. You're listening to 89.3, The Key. We're right back here on this Wednesday morning, the 17th day of May. 17th day of May. Good day to celebrate Walnut Day, I guess, if that's your thing. Today is National Walnut Day, International Child Helpline Day, National Bike to School Day. I don't know how many days are left. I know uh, who's graduating tomorrow. Is it Camdenton, School of the Osage? Maybe they're all graduating tomorrow. I don't know. Kind of lost track of all that good stuff. National Cherry Cobbler Day, National Employee Health and Fitness Day. I used to work with a guy whose boss... Uh, was a big health nut, you know, and so he implemented a lot of different uh, policies in 
this office where these people worked. He allowed them to take time during the day to walk or go and work out. Uh, He put in a lot of uh, healthy foods and healthy drinks. Uh, He had people uh, at his disposal that he could call if people were stressed. They could sit down and talk and Maybe people were having issues at home or having uh, issues with drugs or alcohol or some other addiction. And uh, this guy that was a buddy of mine, or still is actually a buddy of mine, I just haven't talked to him in a long time, he (laughs) he said that despite all of these opportunities, that most of the employees didn't take advantage of it. Some did. He said, but most of them didn't. And I couldn't figure out why. I mean... Me, personally, I would love to work for someone who said, okay, fine, uh, we're going to take an hour out of every day, and that's your hour, and you do what you want to do, but try to make it something where there's some physical activity, where you're walking, where you're, who knows, running or lifting weights or maybe doing some yoga. Who knows? And as as I get older, I will tell you that uh, yoga, to me anyway, seems like kind of a a neat way to do things. Maybe we'll uh, get Jason Jones back on here before uh, the 26th and talk more about uh, yoga. And that reminds me, uh, this show will be coming to a close on May the 26th, a week from this Friday. Uh, unfortunately, we have not been able to get the necessary funding to uh, to keep the daily show on the air. But I'm not going away, folks. Uh, I can guarantee you that uh, you will see me and hear me in a variety of different capacities. I've got, as they say, a lot of side hustles going right now. But uh, something that I know I will be working on, whether it is out of this studio or uh, a studio that I'm putting together in my home, uh, we will have a podcast of some kind, whether it's daily, whether it's a couple of times a week. Uh, I know some folks that would love to be a part of the podcast, and uh, we're going to see if we can't wrangle some sponsors and Maybe in a roundabout way, still be on key radio with that podcast. But as far as things go, uh, as of right now, the uh, Daily Show will be coming to a close on uh, Friday, May 26th. That will be the last day that uh, we will do some things. And uh, I want to get some guests maybe next week that we have not had on, that we uh, should have had on. And uh, I'm going to reach out to those folks and uh, talk to them a little bit about what is going on. Right now, 65 degrees in Osage Beach as we broadcast live from the world headquarters of SRG Financial Advisors in beautiful downtown, yes, Osage Beach, 81 with a partly cloudy sky today, 55 and a clear sky tonight, uh, sunny and 84 tomorrow, showers in 74 on Friday, sunny and 74 on Saturday, then partly cloudy on Sunday to round out the weekend and a high of 78 degrees. So some comfortable temperatures will uh, hit a bit of a warm-up today and tomorrow, and then uh, get back into those very comfortable 70s. And then next week, it looks like 80 degrees plus is the theme for the week. We'll start out at around 80, and then uh, increase a little bit more each and every day. Looks like as we get to uh, Memorial Day weekend here at the Lake of the Ozarks, we'll be in the uh, mid to upper 80s. Could see a little rain, but uh, this weekend that we have planned for ourselves and probably a myriad of other folks that are going to be here, looks beautiful. I hope you get to enjoy it Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. 
Rain chance now at about 60% on Friday, so not a whole lot to worry about. 8.43, we will be joined at 9.10 this morning by the good professor Jim Paisley. His uh, topic this week will be immigration. And the good professor sends me his notes ahead of time, and uh, he said, What if I told you that we've been down this path before? Would you believe me if I told you that our own federal government created the mess over 60 years ago and then made it even worse by trying to fix it? (laughs) Uh, What was the, and Professor Paisley, if you are listening, sir, I am going to do my best, my best to pronounce this word. I hope it is Bracero, Bracero program. What was the Bracero program? Uh, here's an interesting one. What was Operation Wetback? Really? Tune in this morning at 910 to find out. The good Professor Jim Paisley will be joining us as he does. And I want to thank uh, Professor Paisley for his, uh, his support of Key Radio through, uh, what he does with me on the Daily Show and certainly his podcast, the True History Professor podcast, which you can check out. And don't forget his website, uh, True History Professor. Dot com. And that reminds me, he did slip me a public service announcement that we'll uh, put in here this morning. And that is uh, the Jeep Go Topless event on May the 20th. That is uh, this Saturday. Lake of the Ozarks Jeep Club and Jeep Girl Mafia Club, the Missouri chapter, are having a Go Topless event. Jeep Top, of course, on Saturday, May 20th. All proceeds go to benefit Kids Harbor and Osage Beach. The event will start at 11 a.m. at Kids Harbor, 5717 Chapel Drive in Osage Beach with a scavenger hunt for all Jeeps. Following the scavenger hunt, everyone will meet at Willow's Restaurant on A Road in Lynn Creek. The event is open to the public. There will be an auction and raffle again open to the public to benefit Kids Harbor. And all persons are welcome to attend. You can go to Lake of the Ozarks Jeep Club. Uh, check out their Facebook page if you have any questions or you need more information. Simple. 845. So uh, a couple of things that I saw, one of which was an interesting article that was uh, posted by the New York Post. And uh, it talks about, this is nypost.com if you're keeping score. It says that uh, the IRS removes investigative team from Hunter Biden probe in move whistleblower calls clearly retaliatory. Retaliatory. Yes, clearly retaliatory. The IRS on Monday removed the entire investigative team from its long-running tax fraud probe of first son Hunter Biden in alleged retaliation against the whistleblower who recently contacted Congress to allege a cover-up in the case, the Post has learned. Uh, The purge allegedly was done on the orders of the Justice Department. The whistleblower's attorneys informed congressional leaders in a letter. Today, the IRS criminal supervisory special agent uh, we, it says, represent, was informed that he and his entire investigative team are being removed from the ongoing and sensitive investigation of the high-profile controversial subject about which our client sought to make whistleblower disclosures to Congress. He was informed the change was at the request of the Department of Justice. Um, the whistleblower who supervised the Hunter Biden probe since early 2020 hasn't publicly identified the first son as the subject of the case that he says is being brushed under the rug, but congressional sources confirmed it. On April 27, 2023, IRS Commissioner Daniel uh, Werfel appeared 
Before the House Committee on Ways and Means, he testified, I can say without any hesitation there will be no retaliation for anyone making an allegation or a call to a whistleblower hotline. However, this move is clearly retaliatory and may also constitute obstruction of a congressional inquiry, the lawyers went on. Our client has a right to make disclosures to Congress. He is protected by 5 U.S.C. Uh, 2302 from retaliatory personal uh, personnel actions, including receiving a significant change in duties, responsibilities, or working conditions, which this clearly is because of his disclosures to Congress. Any attempt by any government official to prevent a federal employee from furnishing information to Congress is also a direct violation of longstanding appropriations uh, restriction. Uh, it goes on to say the whistleblower's team added, we respectfully request that you give this matter your prompt attention, removing the experienced investigators who have worked this case for years and are now sub the uh, subject matter uh, experts is exactly the sort of issue our client intended to blow the whistle on to begin with. The IRS and Justice Department did not immediately respond to requests for comment. Hunter Biden's legal team and the White House also did not immediately respond. The whistleblower's representatives declined to comment further. Hunter 53 is under investigation for not paying taxes on millions in largely foreign-sourced income. He was in good spirits Monday and gave journalists a thumbs-up while seated near his dad, President Biden, at the graduation ceremony for his daughter, Maisie, from the University of Pennsylvania. The first son wrote in communications retrieved from the abandoned laptop that uh, he paid up to half of his income to his father and Hunter frequently involved then Vice President Biden in his international business relationships. The whistleblower was ousted from the investigation along with an unknown number of subordinates at roughly the same time as the Justice Department released a long-awaited report by Special Counsel John Durham detailing bias in the FBI's investigation of former President Donald Trump's alleged links to Russia. The more than 300-page report dominated the evening news' coverage. The IRS whistleblower emerged last month when... uh, Lytle informed Congress that his client wanted to share information about preferential treatment in the Hunter Biden case and alleged false testimony to Congress by Attorney General Merrick Garland, who repeatedly assured lawmakers that Delaware U.S. Attorney David Weiss can unilaterally make changing decisions in the investigation. Hmm. So no more special investigative team, no more... This uh, investigative team has been removed from the Hunter Biden probe at the request of the Department of Justice. Wow, just that simple. So, yeah, how about the whistleblower? Whistleblowers that have disappeared. You're absolutely right, David. How about that? (laughs) I don't know uh, necessarily that I'd want to be a friend with the Clintons, right? 8.50 is our time. And it will be interesting once the, and I use this with uh, Senator Eichel, the dust clears as to whether or not the dust settles, whether or not this whistleblower will end up, uh, you know, still working for the IRS. But in now it says they can't do this to him but or her, uh, the whistleblower. But they say it's okay. Uh, everything's got to be fine. You know, there won't be any retaliatory 
action taken against this person, but you might be surprised at what happens. That person, uh, let's say, for example, has a certain uh, clearance. They go to swipe their little clearance card, and, oh, by the way, it doesn't work. How did that happen? (laughs) I would say that uh, we probably should not be surprised, if at all, that any of this uh, would be something that happens to this particular person. ResistTheMainstream.com has an article out. We talked to Dan Walsh yesterday, Second Amendment advocate, the author of the Good Gun, Bad Guy series, and the host of the Loaded Mike podcast. And we were talking about some things going on. Minnesota Senate passing sweeping gun control laws, including red flag law. Here they come in, of all places, Minnesota. Proving again that elections have consequences, both houses of Minnesota's legislature Tuesday approved expanding the Gopher State's gun control law. Democrats gained a one-seat state Senate majority in the 2022 midterm election, which enabled tougher gun control approval by one vote in the Senate. The state's Democrat governor has pledged to sign the legislation when it reaches his desk. As Fox News further reported, Democratic Minnesota senators holding firm despite only a one-vote majority successfully passed sweeping gun control legislation in an effort to keep guns out of the hands of people in crisis and criminals. The Public uh, Safety and Judiciary Finance and Policy Agreement passed early Tuesday, May 16th by a vote of 69-63 after passing the Senate 34-33 on Friday, May 12th. The proposals included the controversial red flag law that would allow authorities to ask courts for extreme risk protection orders to temporarily take guns away from people deemed to be an imminent threat to others or themselves. What we are going to be providing finally is a path forward for families and law enforcement who know that someone's exhibiting signs of crisis and danger said Democratic Senator Rob Latz of St. Louis Park, chairman of the Senate Public Safety Committee. The Senate Public Safety Committee. Boy, that just has a uh, an authoritarian kind of a, a sound to it, right? And it will give them lawful tools to separate people in crisis from the firearms that are around them. The provision is part of a broad public safety budget bill that also contains expanded background checks for gun transfers with opponents arguing it violates a person's due process and the Second Amendment of the Constitution. The extension on background check requires background for private transfers, which includes, or I'm sorry, excludes family and law enforcement of pistols and semi-automatic military-style assault weapons. Because those weapons are worse than others. So much more so. Missouri Governor Tim Walz is expected to sign the bill into law after sharing his thoughts on the legislation in a Twitter post on Tuesday. As a veteran gun owner, Hunter and Dad... Uh, I know that basic gun safety isn't a threat to the Second Amendment. It's about our first responsibility to our kids, keeping them safe. Walls wrote in a Twitter post, When the bill reaches my desk, I'm going to sign a red flag law and background checks into law. The bill also includes expanding the definition of bias crimes to include gender identity, creating an office of missing and murdered black women and girls, providing $8.8 million for law enforcement recruitment and retention in the next four years, boosting funding for the state judicial system, including pay raises for judges, restricting strip searches of detained juveniles. 
all of these things have something to do with with gun control, right? Providing $8.8 million for law enforcement recruitment and retention in the next four years. I guess that, it it makes sense, but uh, creating an office of missing and murdered black women and girls. Shouldn't they just create an office of missing and murdered women and girls? Expanding the definition of bias crimes to include gender identity. Restricting strip searches of detained juveniles. Why Why is that something that needs to be done? Are, are you not concerned what these juveniles might have on them if they're arrested? And I wonder how much of this is, is, is something that uh, some of these other legislators are going to fight back against. Folks, we are trying so desperately to... And now, now, the, the left... The Democrats are trying so desperately to move back on a mistake they made when they were shouting, defund the police, defund the police. They want, they understand and realize that, you know, without law enforcement, we've got some problems. We've got some really big problems. And so after we had all the, 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 I do this in air quotes, peaceful protests, right? And law enforcement stepped back and basically let people take over the cities. And the mob rule mentality was what these folks were all about. Because, you see, a peaceful protest should include vandalism and arson and um, and threats to, to people, innocent people who are just, I, I guess if you want to say innocent bystanders in all of this, you know, being in the wrong place at the wrong time anymore, who knows? Innocent bystanders that were a part of all of this. And law enforcement was basically told, just stay back, stay out of the way, don't get involved. Kind of like January 6th. You know, compare January 6th to what happened during these quote-unquote peaceful protests when they were, uh, you know, people were going to Washington, D.C. to uh, let people know that they weren't happy with uh, how the election turned out and, of course, uh, how this uh, whole situation, this insurrection, turned into something uh, wild and crazy. Well, during the uh, peaceful protests, there they are, I believe that uh, there was an attack on the White House. Didn't see any of those people really get in the kind of trouble that the uh, folks got in on January 6th, did we? No. But the fact that uh, the left and, and Democrats were saying, oh, let's defund the police. Let's defund the police. That'll take care of it. Well, we've made a mistake there. So let us, uh, let us try another way to get at the American people. We'll, we'll lessen the severity of crimes. If you get busted, you know, they go in and they book you, give you a court date, and then they let you go. And in a lot of cases, uh, these people that were being jailed were getting out. And uh, repeat offenders. You know, I think there were some people that probably ended up in jail the same day after they were previously arrested. I don't know, folks. Whatever you want to do, we'll we'll try to retain and and build up uh, police departments and and give law enforcement the much needed shot in the arm in order to keep people on. But at the same time, we're going to really make it tough for them to do their jobs. And add to that now. 
These are red flag laws that they have in place because they might consider someone to be a threat. I would imagine there's certain criteria that these uh, people have to meet in order to be considered a threat. But, uh, you know, when we started talking about red flag laws, go back to the vindictive husband or wife or boyfriend or girlfriend or son or daughter or somebody that says, you know, I think uh, so-and-so had a bad day today. And, you know, I heard them come home and complain about uh, not liking their job or, boy, if I just had, you know, five minutes, I'd show that son of a gun, my boss, what I think of him. Oh, well, he owns firearms. We better get in there and take those firearms away from him because he might pose a threat to somebody. And, and I wonder, essentially, with these red flag laws, what types of mental health evaluations will be conducted in order to determine whether or not someone is indeed a threat to themselves or others. Or, you know, if we're just going to go in for now and we're going to take the guns until we figure everything out, and then, and then once we determine, you know, whether this person is a threat to themselves or to others, you know, we might give the guns back. But then again, you know, that's going to cost you because we had to come in and tank them and store them and all these other things. So on down the line, way to go, Minnesota. Nice job. If you live in Minnesota, don't be surprised if people start flocking out of Minnesota now that they've done what they've done as far as uh, this <clears throat> gun control legislation, right? Straight up 9 o'clock on the Midwest Coast. We'll step aside. We've got uh, more local news from Stacy Johnson with LakeExpo.com, Chris Schneider with the Check of Sports from Lake TV, and the good professor, Professor Jim Paisley, joining us on the other side of the break. It is The Daily Show on Key Radio. This is your radio station, Lake of the Ozarks, 89.3 KEYK, Osage Beach, Missouri, The Key. Stacy Johnson, and this is your Lake Expo News Cut for Wednesday, May 17th. An Osage Beach man was injured Monday after his motorcycle struck a turtle on Route U. 59-year-old John Safel was driving a Harley-Davidson when the motorcycle hit the turtle. The highway patrol says that caused the motorcycle to travel off the right side of the road and hit a sign. He suffered moderate injuries and was taken to Lake Regional Hospital. It's one of the highlights of the summer at Lake of the Ozarks, the great shootout treasure hunt. Kids and adults comb the beaches of Captain Ron's and search a buried treasure and shockingly good prizes. And this year the grand prize is a new ATV four-wheeler courtesy of Sir Dyke Yamaha. The treasure hunt Saturday, June 3rd. The fun begins with frozen custard courtesy of Andy's at 5 in the afternoon. Then the digging starts at 6 o'clock. Tickets cost $25 at the gate, but buy online beforehand and save $5 a person. All the proceeds go to shootout charities. Just can't wait for deer season? Squirrel season opens Saturday, May 27th. The daily limit for hunting squirrels is 10, and the possession limit is 20. That's enough to make a pretty good big Ozark stew. This has been your Lake Expo News Cut. All this news and more at lakeexpo.com. Lake news events, boating, and the lake life, lakeexpo.com. The goal of Key Radio is to offer the community an opportunity to share information and to express their ideas and opinions. Key Radio presents a platform for all types of information. 
We encourage interested content providers to create podcasts that explain the finer points of business, family issues, arts and entertainment, religion, government, and more. Key Radio is also looking for unique and one-of-a-kind podcasts as well. Key Radio is based on positive and productive podcasts that encourage and inspire our listeners to become engaged in their community. For more information on becoming a content provider, call 573-280-0532 or go to keygatheringplace.com slash keyradio. You're listening to 89.3 The Key. with your Key Radio Lake TV sports update for this Wednesday. We've got some more high school playoff baseball on the way today involving local teams. So 20-10 and 10 Eldon taking on 14-11 and 11 California in the district championship game at his Inverse Sales. So Eldon very hot the second half of the season looking for a district championship with a win over California today. Eldon beat Osage in the semifinals to advance California beat Versailles. Also today, 29-4 Camdenton looking to keep their state championship hopes alive. They have got a tough game against 23-5 Glendale. Lakers have won 11 of their last 12, one of the best teams in the state. Glendale really good too. Camdenton beat Glendale a couple of weeks ago in regular season play. As for college baseball, final series of the regular seasons coming up this weekend for both Mizzou and MSU. The Tigers, uh, they come off a sweep over Georgia last week. They will play at Auburn starting uh, tomorrow. MSU Bears, their last series of the regular season at home against Indiana State. The Bears currently in second place in the Valley Conference. As far as Major League Baseball, the Cardinals losing last night to the Brewers 3-2. The Cards have won 7-9, of nine, though. They're seven and a half games behind Milwaukee in the division. They'll close out that series against the Brewers today. Royals, of course, they have struggled all year long. They close out a series in San Diego against the Padres today. First voluntary offseason workouts start next Monday for the Chiefs. The first OTAs, Chiefs, of course, reigning champions in the NFL. Lake TV brings you five local lake area shows, including the Community Spotlight Show, Get to Know Local People Better. Some uh, business leaders or nonprofit leaders, school leaders, check it out. The Community Spotlight Show every day at 902, 302, and 702 on Lake TV. I'm Chris Schneider with your Key Radio Lake TV sports update for this Wednesday. A portion of the programming on Key Radio is brought to you by our media partners at Lake TV. Winter, spring, summer, or fall, Lake TV's got it all, including five local talk shows to keep you informed and entertained. You can also see local high school football in the fall and basketball in the winter. Watch Lake TV on Como Channel 90 or absolutely free on Roku or Amazon Fire and always streaming live at MyLakeTV.com. And if you haven't liked Lake TV on Facebook, be sure you do that too.
Part of the solution. Join the lake's only community radio station, 89.3, the key. It is 908. Good morning and thank you for joining us. So glad that you are with us on this uh, beautiful Wednesday morning, the 17th day of May 2023. I will let you know that uh, on the program tomorrow, we will be talking with Jenny Wall. We'll get our first. Uh, a uh, glimpse of the new edition, and I have it. Where's that? Where's that? Where's that? It's right here. The new edition of The Watchdog for May. And we will go over that uh, with Jenny in the 8 o'clock hour. and the 9 o'clock hour, we'll have Danny Ellison on the program. Friday, the presiding commissioner of Camden County, Ike Skelton, will join us at the 8 o'clock hour. And then in the 9 o'clock hour, uh, Mindy Sales. And if you if you get a chance and you know how to reach Mindy, don't everybody call her, maybe text her, or reach out to her on her Facebook page and wish her good luck. She is going up to St. Louis tomorrow for her uh, annual kidney inspection. Hmm. And, you know, she is the recipient of a kidney. She was the recipient of a kidney transplant. And uh, she will be on with us on Friday, which I think is a great way to round out the week, talking about stuff in our community, whatever mm-hmm. that stuff may be. We're going to do that with Mindy on Friday. So, And then uh, next week, we'll uh, count it down day by day by day and shut the door on The Daily Show. Again, folks, uh, just uh, couldn't make it happen, unfortunately. But, uh, hey, it is what it is. And uh, like I said, I will still be around in a variety of different capacities. You might see me with a jackhammer. You might see me with a paintbrush. You might see me with a pressure washer. (laughs) And then again, you might see me doing things like uh, what we're doing right here and uh, maybe even utilizing this studio to do some other podcasts. But uh, I will tell you flat out, straight up, that uh, like a bad dream, I'm not going away. Neither am I. Neither is the good professor, Jim (laughs) Paisley, who is in the studio with us this morning. How are you? I'm doing great. Good. Doing great. Sun shining. Yeah. That helps a lot. Yesterday was like a fall day. It was miserable out. Yeah. It was like being in uh, the upper, you know, the the northwestern part of the United States. Uh, good morning to your lovely bride. I know she's probably listening this morning. She always does. Mm-hmm. Because if the volume is too low, I get a, a little note on my phone, a text message. 
Turn up the volume. Yeah, she's like general manager, you know. I mean, she everybody's got to have. She them. reviews what what I what I say, and she's always checking on you to make sure you're doing a good job. So, yeah, she's pretty good at it. And without her, we would be lost. Yeah, absolutely. I'm certainly glad that uh, we've got someone watching our backs. 66 <laughs> degrees with a mix of clouds and sun. Uh, partly cloudy is where we'll end up today with a high of 81. Clear and 55 the low tonight. Drop down to, uh, as I said, 55, back up to 84 tomorrow with sunshine, 74. Some showers possible, around a 60% chance on Friday. Sunny and 74 on Saturday. It's going to be beautiful. Partly cloudy and 78 on Sunday. And let me mention that this Sunday will be the finals of Sing Your Heart Out at Captain Ron's Bar and Grill. We have 10 finalists, all rip-roaring and ready to go. Someone's going to walk away with $1,000 in cash and prizes and an option to sing the national anthem before a uh, local, statewide, nationwide, and possibly worldwide audience. This person will have the option to sing the national anthem uh, during the shootout on Sunday at Captain Ron's Bar and Grill in the month of August. They normally do that around the last weekend of August. So that should be interesting, to say the least. We'll have that uh, for you, and uh, we'll have the uh, the winner, the results, on Monday morning. So uh, you might want to come out and uh, have some fun with us before things get too crazy around the lake. We've got uh, about one weekend left, and then uh, brace yourself. Here they come. Yeah. They've already been here. Oh, yeah. They're out there. And you know what? We're glad that they're here. You and, bet. Uh, without these, uh, I know sometimes people get a little ticked off or uptight uh, by the tourists and the way they drive or what they do or where they go or how they act on the water. But, you know, I think uh, a lot of times uh, a little simple conversation, uh, a please and a thank you goes a long way. But, um, hey, folks, that's what uh, our economy thrives on, these folks coming down to the beautiful Lake of the Ozarks. Anywho... Let's talk to the good professor and find out a little bit more about his topic, which I do believe is uh, immigration. And I, I just want to read what you sent me because I read it earlier this mm-hmm. morning. Uh, the topic this week, immigration. What if I told you that we have been down this path before? Would you believe me if I told you that our own federal government created this mess? I would believe that mm-hmm. over 60 years ago and then made it even worse by trying to fix it. I would believe that as well. Uh, what was the, is it uh, Bracero program? Bracero, thank yes. You. Thank you. Better be lucky than good. Yes. Uh, what was Operation Wetback? Right. Really? Yeah. Government program called Wetback. Oh. <laughs> wow. Hmm. That'd go over like a ton of bricks today. Yes. It? There wasn't woke society back then. Uh, not really. No, no, not at all. People were pretty much uh, speaking their minds and allowed to do so without a whole lot of repercussions. Yeah. Not like today. Right. All right. That being said, let's dive feet first right into this thing. All right. Head so, first or feet first? Yeah, well, it may be both. Well, you know? if it's uh, illegal, uh, illegal yes. aliens, we might want to go feet first. Feet first <laughs> it is. All right. So I... Uh, Got to thinking about this as they were talking about all the issues, you know, we've seen on the news with the whole immigration fiasco. And, you know, again, the government's supposedly going to fix this. And, you know, being a historian, I knew that in the past, like everything else, KB, we've we've tackled this before. And you can see how well it's always worked out. And so I thought we'd start out by talking about this Title 42 thing, which nobody seems to really want to talk much about. You know, they dance around it a lot, and we know that Title 42 ended, and then now now we're in this chaos, right? So I found a great article by a guy by the name of John Davison in The Federalist, 
And he starts out simply by saying, whatever your view of immigration, there can be no doubt that the Biden administration's border policies have been an absolute failure. I mean, it is a mess. I mean, when you just look at it, you know, now even Biden last week said, you know, we're going to have some chaos for a while. I love that. Right. Now, this whole thing is especially true of Title 42. Now, what it was, it was a pandemic-era public health order that was to last for three years under both Trump and then Biden, okay? And it allowed border officials to expel illegal immigrants quickly back to Mexico. The whole idea being is we needed to cut back the number of people coming into the country because of COVID, uh, you know, and God only knows, you know, nobody's even asking the question now about, aside from COVID, what are all the other things that could be coming in? Simple things like measles, mumps, you know, the whole nine yards or, you know, people in these other countries aren't don't have the vaccines like we do. Now, <clears throat> Title 42 came to an end last Thursday, May 11th, when the COVID public health emergency officially ended. I love how they did that. Too. They pick a date and it's now officially over. Okay, something that shut down the whole country for two years, but now it's done. Okay, and this ending of Title 42 can only be described as as just absolute chaos along the U.S.-Mexico border. And we've seen this. Texas has taken their own uh, initiative to try and stop this influx of all these people. Border Patrol agents are now arresting more than 10,000 illegal immigrants every day. And to give you context to that figure, consider that in March of 2019, at the onset of this last border crisis, Border Patrol was arresting 4,000 a day. It's up to 10,000 now, okay? Now, at the time, President Obama's Secretary of Homeland Security, Jay Johnson, he said, I know that 1,000 a day overwhelms the system. I can't even begin to imagine 4,000. And folks, we're now at 10,000, okay? Now, If it keeps up much longer, we'll see a string of what amount to massive migration camps. They're just simply going to have to put them somewhere. You know, and you can remember a few weeks back uh, when they were all underneath that bridge down there in El Paso, I think it was. Uh, I mean, you can just imagine what it's going to look like down there. Now, what 10,000 a day means is that our southwest border is absolutely collapsing. And the Texas cities of Laredo, El Paso, Brownsville, all of these places have issued emergency declarations. We've even got the mayor of New York on there issuing emergency declarations, and he hasn't gotten anywhere near this number, right? So the question is, what are we going to do with all these people, right? And, you know, I mean, it's just beyond comprehension. We even heard about them kicking uh, veterans out of of hotels and and people losing their uh, reservations for their weddings and stuff in hotels in upstate New York because they're just having to import all these immigrants and find them a place to stay, okay? Now... It's under un, unclear what all of this is going to, the impact that it's going to have. But video circulating on Twitter this week, taken by Tom Benson of, of the Center for Immigration Studies, showed that Texas DPS troopers are trying to block the migrants as they're coming in. But all they got to do is just go, you know, a mile up the road and cross somewhere else. So, you know, it, we're we're just putting band aids on this thing, and nobody seems to know what we can do to stop it. Okay, now. <clears throat> What we're going to see happen here is that, you know, the Biden administration is going to give us, you know, uh, you know, just lip service, basically saying, oh, we're doing this and we're doing that. 
and they even took 1500 military uh national guard or, or military troops not national guard regular military down to the border to help but all they're going to do is help process paperwork so they're actually going to make it worse they're going to allow even more of them to come in because they can do the paperwork quicker so i mean it's just a disaster an absolute disaster and what we're doing is this catch and release and so in other words we catch them and we process them and turn them loose and i saw him interviewing a gal the other day that had just crossed the border and her first date to appear in court is three and a half years from now you know so i'm sure she'll be there right on time. oh absolutely absolutely along with the other you know two million that we've let in so it's you know it's just lip service like i say what they're doing here now <clears throat> on some level like i say even biden knows this and you know like i said he said it's going to be chaotic for a while that really gives you a lot of confidence right well, when he said that, that's what triggered me to do this this particular show. So how about a little history lesson? That seems to be, uh, you know, what I always revert to. And some people think, how in the world can he keep coming up with these things? Well, like I say, if you know your history, you can see history repeat itself. And this is a classic example. All right. So basically, I'm going to give you a little history to try and explain this mess, how we got to where we're at. And the steps that we've taken to fix it in the past, because we've tried before, all right? And of all things, I turned to History.com, and the editors had a great article talking about a couple of programs that most people aren't even aware of. And the first one uh, was initiated in August of 1942. That's right, folks, back during the war years, right? And the United States and Mexico signed a Mexican Farm Labor Agreement. And it was known as the Bracero Program. Now, the program lasted until 1964. So 1942 to 1964, we have this Bracero Program. And it was the largest guest worker program in U.S. history. And throughout its existence, the Bracero Program benefited both farmers and laborers, but also gave rise to all sorts of labor uh, disputes, abuses of workers, other programs that have long characterized the history of farm labor in the southwestern United States. Now, the program was born out of necessity, all right? And this is the first thing you guys need to think about, all right? We're sitting here right now saying, oh, God, look at all these people coming across here. Well, in 1942... We had a problem. We had all of our young men leaving the farms and heading off to fight in a war. All right. And the concern was, how are we going to feed them? How are we going to get the crops in? How are we, we need laborers to work the farms and everything while the guys are off fighting the war. And so we cut a deal with Mexico and said, hey, we would like to have your people immigrate into the United States on a temporary basis to work our farms while we're fighting the war. Okay? So we initiated this thing. We're asking them to send people. All right? Now, these were all these manual laborers who came in. Now, Rosero, you know, that, that word we're using, what that is in Spanish, it means manual laborer. So it's a manual laborer program, Bracero program, all right? And it became a huge part of the nation's economy, especially during the war. And it guaranteed workers a number of basic protections, including a minimum wage, uh, insurance, 
and safe, free housing. However, farmers frequently fail to live up to these requirements. Okay, In other words, they're going to come in here with the expectation that they're going to get a minimum wage and they're going to be put up in a nice house just while <laughs> they're working. Very minimum. Yeah, very minimum, right? And so <clears throat> basically housing and food routinely, routinely proved to be well below the standards and wages were not only low but also didn't get paid in a lot of cases. In other words, it's a program and this is what you're supposed to do, Mr. Farmer. You own the farm and here's what you're supposed to provide. Okay, well, you know, <laughs> you know how that works. You know, the money's going to him, but is it making its way to the Mexicans, right? Now, years after the program ended, many braceros were still fighting to receive the money that had been promised to them. Okay, and the way it worked was the money came in, and it was basically, it was deducted from their salaries and put into savings accounts. In other words, money came to a farmer. And then he was, it went to a savings account, and he was supposed to make the payments and, you know, provide the housing and all. Well, <laughs> you know how that works, right? It's government money, and who, who the heck's going to follow up on this, right? A typical program, right? Are we just throwing money at the problem? Is that what you're saying? It might be, yes, right? Now, bear in mind, this is in the 40s, KB, all right? It's not something that happened yesterday. And over 4.6 million... 4.6 million Mexicans came in and worked under this program over 22 years, under the Bracero program. Mm -hmm. Now, bear in mind, you know, big picture, we're asking them to come here, all right? Now, <clears throat> Congress let the program expire in 1964. But what happened then is it sets the stage for all sorts of labor disputes and uh, migrants. They now get together and formed unions. And next thing you know, we've got a huge mess because we've got all these folks in and say, thanks a lot. The war ended. See you. Have a good life. Goodbye. Right. Was it see you goodbye, like go back where you came from, see you goodbye? Or, hey, you know, you've been here for a while. Some folks may kind of like it here. Yeah, well, it was. Or was it that kind of just no, go back to your home? It here? was, uh, we don't need you anymore. Go away. Get you behind and, the border. And, of course, they're pushing back and saying, wait just a minute here. We haven't even got our money yet. Mm -hmm. You've put us in these crappy houses. You've turned around and used us all this time. And now you're going to turn around and send us back? Well, yeah, that was the deal. That's That's the agreement that we had, right? Well, they're saying you hadn't lived up to your half of the agreement. And so now we get into all these labor disputes and everything taking place, all right? And it was in the 60s and 70s, after this Bracero program ended, that we saw the, the rise of the United Farm Workers. Uh, and that was a union composed entirely, nearly entirely, of Mexican and Mexican-Americans. They're saying, no, no, we're here now. You know, we're not going back to Mexico, all right? And to this day, migrant labor from Mexico continues to be a vital part of that whole southwest part of the United States as far as having a labor force to work in the fields and work, work all the jobs that, as you say, a lot of Americans just simply don't want to do, all right? Well, having created a monster, all right, the government, in their infinite wisdom, you know, they're sitting there getting word that, hey, we've told these people to go home, and they won't do it. And so the government steps in, and we created a new program called Operation Wetback. Can you believe that? So government created the problem. Now we're going to create a solution. Yay, 
right? And of all things, like I say, it wasn't woke society back then. They called it Operation Wetback, right? Now, some people will say, wetback, okay, I've heard that before. Well, basically what it is, it's a slang term for Mexicans who entered the U.S. illegally. Now, you can't say that today, all right? These four million people that have come in here recently... No, you can't say wetbacks, Mm -hmm. but back then it was a government program called the wetbacks, all right? And it's simply where the origin came from. It came from the practice of wading or swimming across the Rio Grande to illegally sneak into the country. I'll wait. (laughs) Something I want to say so so desperately bad. I know, I know. All right, you're being good, you know, so far, uh, but I'll stir you up a little more. All right, and I know my listeners out there are going, they're they're all saying something, right? Cross the cross the table, the coffee cup to your wife or your spouse or whoever. Now, <clears throat> here's the thing: we got looking, and I got to looking in and doing some research on Operation Wetback. And again, History.com had a great article uh, by a guy by the name of Aaron Blakemore. And he said that as many as 1.3 million people were swept up in the Eisenhower-era campaign uh, under Operation Wetback. They said, okay, they won't leave. We're going to go get them and force them out of the country. And so to answer your question, KB, you know, was this, uh, you know, know, we'd we'd really like you to go kind of thing, you know, and we'd like to stay. No, we're literally going to conduct what equated to almost a military operation of rounding them up Mm -hmm. and shipping them out. There's another one that pops in my head. Go ahead. All right. Okay. So basically, this short-lived operation used these military tactics to remove Mexican immigrants. Now, the problem with this is it's kind of like what we saw with the, uh, uh, the Japanese uh, Americans when we swept them all into, into camps during the war. Well, what happened is, is when we went to flush out all of the illegal immigrants, they didn't take the time. It's the government. They're not going to take the time to say, show me your papers. They, if you are of Mexican nationality, if you, you look like a Mexican, you're on a bus and you're out of here. And that's what they did. They swept in in this, you know, just overnight kind of raids and rounded up these people. And a lot of American, Mexican-American citizens wound up being deported out of the country. All right. Now, they had the help of the Mexican government because the Mexican government said, hey, your war is over. We need our people back. Mexico had a labor shortage. And so Mexico is saying, heck, yeah, if you get them Bring them to the border. We'll find a place for them. We need them back here. All right? So basically, along the way, they used all sorts of just basically racial stereotypes to justify, uh, you know, rounding these immigrants up and shipping them out. All right? And in the United States at the time, anti-Mexican sentiment was huge. And there were, you know, portrayals in the newspaper and everything as Mexican immigrants as being dirty, disease-bearing, and irresponsible. And during Operation Wetback, literally tens of thousands of immigrants were shoved into buses, boats, and planes and sent to Mexico. Now, did they send them back where they came from? No. Now, I folks, some of you have been to Mexico. That's not a small country. Mm-mm. All right? So it would be like if they if they took you out of California and brought you back and dumped you in New York. That's what happened to these people. They dumped them 
you know, is it Mexico? Yeah, get them off the bus. All right. And so now these people have been not only deported out of the United States, they've been put maybe in a part of Mexico they've never been in their life with absolutely nothing in their pockets and having to start all over again. Operation Wetback. 931 is where we'll jump in and take our bottom of the hour break. We'll come back and continue on with our discussion. So many things going through my mind. <laughs> As the good professor continues to discuss our history lesson on immigration. Yes, like many things in history, folks, it has been done before. By your friends up there in Washington, D.C., we're from the government and we're here to help. <laughs> Stacy Johnson with a check of local news from LakeExpo.com. Chris Schneider with a check of sports from Lake TV. And more of The Daily Show is coming up right here on The Key. I'm Stacy Johnson, and this is your Lake Expo News Cut for Wednesday, May 17th. An Osage Beach man was injured Monday after his motorcycle struck a turtle on Route U. 59-year-old John Safel was driving a Harley-Davidson when the motorcycle hit the turtle. The highway patrol says that caused the motorcycle to travel off the right side of the road and hit a sign. He suffered moderate injuries and was taken to Lake Regional Hospital. It's one of the highlights of the summer at Lake of the Ozarks, the great shootout treasure hunt. Kids and adults comb the beaches of Captain Ron's and search a buried treasure and, shockingly, good prizes. And this year, the grand prize is a new ATV four-wheeler courtesy of Sir Dyke Yamaha. The treasure hunt Saturday, June 3rd. The fun begins with frozen custard courtesy of Andy's at 5 in the afternoon. Then the digging starts at 6 o'clock. Tickets cost $25 at the gate, but buy online beforehand and save $5 a person. All the proceeds go to shootout charities. Just can't wait for deer season? Squirrel season opens Saturday, May 27th. The daily limit for hunting squirrels is 10, and the possession limit is 20. That's enough to make a pretty good big Ozark stew. This has been your Lake Expo News Cut. All this news and more at lakeexpo.com. Lake news events, boating, and the lake life, lakeexpo.com. Portions of the programming on Key Radio are made possible through a generous donation from lakeexpo.com. LakeExpo.com is a locally owned daily news website connecting residents, second homeowners, visitors, and the boating community to the Lake of the Ozarks. Lake Expo features real estate and boats for sale, upcoming events at the lake, and their exclusive boating club, X-Tow. Download the free Lake Expo app on the App Store and Google Play. LakeExpo.com, the lake's trusted news source. Schneider with your Key Radio Lake TV sports update for this Wednesday. We've got some more high school playoff baseball on the way today involving local teams. So 20 and 10 Eldon taking on 14 and 11 California in the district championship game at his inverse sales. So Eldon very hot the second half of the season looking for a district championship with a win over California today. Eldon beat Osage in the semifinals to advance California. California beat Versailles. 
Also today, 29-4 Camdenton, looking to keep their state championship hopes alive. They have got a tough game against 23-5 Glendale. Lakers have won 11 of their last 12, one of the best teams in the state. Glendale, really good too. Camdenton beat Glendale a couple of weeks ago in regular season play. As for college baseball, final series of the regular seasons coming up this weekend for both Mizzou and MSU. The Tigers, uh, they come off a sweep over Georgia last week. They will play at Auburn starting uh, tomorrow. MSU Bears, their last series of the regular season at home against Indiana State. The Bears currently in second place in the Valley Conference. As far as Major League Baseball, the Cardinals losing last night to the Brewers 3-2. The Cards have won 7-9, of nine, though. They're seven and a half games behind Milwaukee in the division. They'll close out that series against the Brewers today. Royals, of course, they have struggled all year long. They close out a series in San Diego against the Padres today. First voluntary offseason workouts start next Monday for the Chiefs. The first OTAs, Chiefs, of course, reigning champions in the NFL. Lake TV brings you five local lake area shows, including the Community Spotlight Show, Get to Know Local People Better. Some uh, business leaders or nonprofit leaders, school leaders, check it out. The Community Spotlight Show every day at 902, 302, and 702 on Lake TV. I'm Chris Schneider with your Key Radio Lake TV sports update for this Wednesday. Join 89.3 The Key for the True History Professor program featuring Professor Jim Paisley. The national media now is kind of taking advantage of people. They hit you with a, you know, a big headline, and then they don't give you any information behind it. There's no context to it. Problem. And so what I'm going to try and do, uh, you know, on a weekly basis with the show is to try and share with you what, what were the events, what are the things behind the scenes here, what, what led to this. Professor Paisley takes a look back at history and how it relates to present day events. But we take it on face value without having any knowledge of why it well it's because the news told us join professor jim paisley thursdays and saturdays at 6 a.m 2 p.m and 10 p.m for the true history professor program on 89.3 the key this is bill munhausen for creation expo many years ago dr francis schaefer posed the question how should we then live? If the Bible is true, what should we do about it? The first step is to accept Jesus as Lord. We can't accept the grace of God and go on living for self. If Jesus is Lord, we are called to do what he said in a personal way, to love our neighbor, to walk honorably, to seek wisdom, and to spread the gospel. The church collectively gets more complicated because we tend to get caught up in the mechanics instead of the mission. The mission of the church isn't to be a greeter or a choir member or a Sunday school teacher, not that those aren't good things. The mission, rather, is to be a teacher and safety net for those in need. James 1.27 reads, Pure, unstained religion, according to God our Father, is to take care of orphans and widows when they suffer and to remain uncorrupted by this world. That's a great starting point for how we should then live. These 60-second messages are based on the book XPO by Bill Munhausen, available in Amazon Books. There is a saying that there is no free lunch, meaning there is a cost to everything, even when it appears to be free. 
Your free account on social media costs you invisible connections to companies trying to sell you stuff. So it is, even with Key Radio, because there are costs to bring you local programming, and we need your help to pay the bills. If you love our purpose, please donate. If you need to use advertising dollars, Key Radio can give you a promotional benefit of sponsorship underwriting. Key Radio features programs in every area of life, politics, business, family, entertainment, education, faith, and media. In Christian circles, we refer to this as the Seven Mountains. We don't relegate any of these subjects to once a week, and we seek content rooted in truth more than opinion. If you have a message to get across, contact Bill M. at OrionCenter.org to talk about how Key Radio can help. The Lake of the Ozarks Community Radio Station. You're listening to 89.3, The Key. 9.39 right back here for the uh, final 20 minutes of the Daily Show for this Wednesday. want to remind everybody the weather's going to be perfect on Saturday. A good day for the Lake of the Ozarks Jeep Club and Jeep Girl Mafia Club, Missouri chapter, to have their Go Topless event. Jeep. Jeep Topless. Topless, of yes. course, on May 20th. Course, you know, whatever works, right? <laughs> I guess maybe some, some of those folks could pull it off. I don't know. All proceeds go to benefit Kids Harbor in Osage Beach. I'd, I'd have to. Never mind. I, yes. I don't. I probably shouldn't even get into it. No. Uh, we'll talk about it off the air if you need a judge or something. Anyway, the event will start at 11 a.m. at Kids Harbor, 5717 Chapel Drive in Osage Beach, with a scavenger hunt for all Jeeps. Following the scavenger hunt, everyone will meet at Willow's Restaurant on A Road in Lynn Creek. Great fried potato salad, by the way. They've got a great tenderloin there. They've got a lot of good food. What am I? Yeah, I don't want to just ate uh, there last night. It was great. Narrow it down to a couple of pl- a couple of things on the menu. They've got a great menu, great food. And uh, the scavenger hunt. Uh, well, after the scavenger hunt, uh, the restaurant will be open to the public. Uh, they'll have an auction and raffle again, open to the public to benefit Kids Harbor. All persons are welcome to attend. Go to the Lake of the Ozarks Jeep Club Facebook page for more information. There you go, GM. Thanks. She wanted it, and she got it. It's just that simple. <laughs> Ask, and you shall receive. There you go. There you are. Let's pick up our conversation right. on immigration with <clears throat> Professor Jim Paisley. All right. So here we are. We're in the throes of Operation Wetback, right? Now, according to this historian, a fellow by the name of Francisco Balderrama, the U.S. deported over one million Mexican nationals, 60% of whom were U.S. citizens of Mexican descent. Like I say, they just rounded everybody up and out the door they went. It reminds me of World War II when they had the Japanese internment camps. Yes. And they were putting people in there, and they didn't care if you were, uh, you know, Japanese uh, descent, uh, you were born here. It didn't make any difference. They right. They put everybody in these camps because they didn't want to have any loose ends. If you look Japanese, yeah. they put you in there. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> That's the way it right. works. So if you looked Mexican under this operation uh, wetback, off you went. All right. Now, <clears throat> the, I love this. This is where we first heard the term, heard the term repatriation. Mm-hmm. Remember that one? Yeah. We're repatriating them. No, we're not kicking them out. We're repatriating them. And so, you know, we, it gives a sense of being voluntary. In reality, you know, we know what it really is. It's getting them out of the country. 
Now, <clears throat> despite a, a, a widespread belief among native-born Americans that Mexicans came to the United States to steal jobs, like I say, we had Operation Bracero, and what that was is we enticed them to come here to work uh, on the farms during World War II. Now, <clears throat> like I say, what happens then is we got the government has created a problem, and they're trying to fix it. Now, <clears throat> not all employers, like I say, when these farmers, or when these Mexicans came in under Operation Bracero, wanted to follow the guidelines. And basically, they had to pay a 30 cent an hour guaranteed wage. All right? That was the minimum wage then, 30 cents an hour, hmm. give you an idea. Uh, it equates to about $4.50 in modern dollars. And nor did the Mexican government want Mexicans to work in Texas, which continued uh, its discrimination against Mexican people. And the state was excluded from the program. So these Mexicans who came in came primarily uh, into California. That was the, the big place, you know, for, for all the agriculture there. Now, <clears throat> that's where the name wetbacks came in, okay? And it was used to describe Mexicans who illegally entered, entered Texas by crossing the Rio Grande. And the government basically just turned a blind eye to Texans' employment of these undocumented immigrants, okay? So as they're coming across, Texas has taken a lot of them and saying, to heck with your Bracero program, we're just going to offer them jobs to work here on our farms, Okay. Now, an estimated 4.6 million Mexicans entered the country illegally, uh, or legally, through the Bracero program. So the numbers are similar. 4.6 million back in 1942 come across the border to, to, you know, under a legal program called the Bracero program so that we could use them on our farms. Now here we are in 2023, and we got 4.6 million have come across again. All right. So you have to ask the question, KB. Now, when we get them all in here, are we looking in our future going to another Operation Wetback to get them all out of here? All right. And so, you know, the history does repeat itself. I mean, it's just unbelievable when you think about it. Now, in 1953, the government decided it had had enough and they shut down, started to shut down the Bracero program. South Texas farmers essentially received their labor for less money than farmers who complied. In other words, if you're under the Bracero program and you came to California, you're going to get your 30 cents. In Texas, they're not under the program, so they're going to pay them whatever they want. All right. Now, the head of the Border Patrol back then, Harlan Carter, who was a convicted murderer who killed a Latino teenager in 1931, He's now uh, frustrated by the sheer numbers of Mexican immigrants, both legal and undocumented, in the United States, and he convinces President Eisenhower to launch his Operation Wetback. Now, <clears throat> Carter had even tried to get the National Guard involved in, as a forerunner to Operation Wetback, but since the U.S. military, and this is, this is a fact, states cannot use the U.S. military unless the state asks for them, all right? So that's why we have emergency declarations when there's a disaster. The state has to declare an emergency declaration, and then the president has to go ahead. The, the governor has to ask for the stuff, and then the president has to declare it a disaster area as well. So there's, there's rules and guidelines as to when the military can go in, all right? 
And so they're trying to jump through all of these hoops, hoops, and lo and behold, the government says, well, we got to fix the mess we've created, and they created Operation Wetback and launched this program to round them all up and get them out of the country. Now, in an interview with the Los Angeles Times, Carter, the head of the Border Patrol back then, promised sweeps of factories, farms, and other workplaces, ending with the detention of undocumented workers in holding facilities to await deportation. And it would be the biggest drive against illegal aliens in history, according to Carter. Now, news of the raids absolutely terrified all the Latinos in the United States. Bear in mind, a lot of them are here illegally. But they know they're all going to get rounded up, okay? And a lot of them remembered uh, the forced deportations that had taken place all the way back in the 1930s, where where the government was trying to limit the number of, of immigrants coming into the country, you know, during the Depression. Now, historians have documented the the behind-the-scenes wheeling and dealing that the United States participated in during Operation Wetback, and uh, deals weren't publicized at the time. Immigration officials threatened South Texas employers, some of whom had resorted to hiring armed guards to fend off the Border Patrol officers. In other words, you know, there's nothing to see here at this factory. Go away, right? And, you know, as the Border Patrol uh, officers stepped up the raids and offered them, uh, they basically came in and offered these guys watered-down versions of the Bracero program that let them get papers for their workers. In other words, you know, if you if you know the right people in the government, we might be able to just look past your factory and go to the next one or your farm and go to the next one. Sure. You, that would never happen in the government, right? Now... <clears throat> Operation Wetback, needless to say, is something else when you think about it in today's terms, okay? It was based on xenophobia, the fear of foreigners, and it resulted in huge, large-scale violations of people's rights, including forced deportation. Now, again, I'm not talking about the illegal aliens. I'm talking about people who illegally got their citizenship and got caught up in this whole fiasco, okay? Now, within a few months, Operation Wetback's funding ran out and the program ended. The Bracero program, however, continued until 1964 when Congress finally terminated it. All right. Now, by then, the the program had created an ongoing thirst for cheap labor. All right. And basically cheap food at the stores. I mean, if you got cheap labor doing all the farm work, you're going to have cheaper food. All right. And so what happens is, as the government is trying to get these people out, people realize, oh, my God, if they leave, who's going, who's going to be here to turn around and do all this work? All right. And if we have to pay uh, a higher wage to get people to work on the farms, you know, people that aren't uh, illegal immigrants, then the price of food's going to go up at the grocery store. So it's a never-ending cycle, right? So <clears throat> what we see happen is... We see more and more Mexicans coming here because there's plenty of work for them, uh, and they're seeking out their fortunes in the United States. In other words, there's work to be had. We're willing to hire any of them that come, legal or not, okay? And it bred even more illegal immigration, all right? So there you have it, folks. I know it's hard to believe, but this mess we're in today is a direct result of two federal programs. 
which I'm sure most of you had never even heard of, okay? The Bracero Program, which was recruiting Mexican workers during the war to have them come in here and work the farms. And then, after they realized they'd opened up Pandora's box with 4.6 million illegal immigrants, they turned around and launched the Wetback Program to try and get them all out of here again. Mm -hmm. All right? So this begs my big question here, KB. Based on our government's past track record in dealing with immigration and our border problem, do you really think that they can come up with a solution as to how to fix it today? No. <laughs> Absolutely not. It's unbelievable, isn't it, when you think about it? Well, the sheer numbers of people that are in this country illegally, mm -hmm. whether it's Mexicans or, or whoever else it might be. Mm -hmm. There is just, it, it, it is, it's like everything else. It was started with good intentions, mm -hmm. as is the case with a lot of these great government programs. Somebody, mm -hmm. somebody saw a need and sat down and figured out a way to try and fill that need. Mm -hmm. And in doing so, they created an even larger problem because when they uh, uh, shut the tap off there and didn't need any more folks to come in for, you know, the, the farmers as laborers, mm -hmm. Well, it was time to turn around and tell them to all go back home. Mm -hmm. And not only tell them, but to help them. Mm -hmm. And as you said, they put them in places where maybe these folks didn't even start out from. So I would mm -hmm. say, you know, if you're going to invite folks in, uh, maybe figure out a way to get them all back to where they, they belong, where they live, where they go, with their families. But so many different things pop up in my mind. And one of the things I was thinking about, and I don't know why, is how the founding fathers are now being... Depicted as a racist. Yeah. You know, All right. Founding fathers are racist. All right. Uh, wow. I mean, just just that whole process of how, you know, people look down their noses right. at these people. You know, they were brought in to help. Right. And then once we're done with them, you know, it's like um, you blow a blow your nose with a Kleenex, and when you're done, you throw it away. Right. You know. Right. Well, and 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 think about well, these numbers again. Four point six million came in. Mm -hmm. They deported a million of them, and they're saying sixty percent of those were illegal. So where's the 4.6, where did the 4.6 million, or let's make it 4 million mm -hmm. illegal immigrants stayed, all right? And they're working, and we're even seeing it today. History is repeating itself. Whether they raid a, you know, a meatpacking plant out there in uh, Nebraska or someplace. Oh, the Tyson it, plants that they yes. used to, I used to hear about those in the news all the time right here in Missouri. Right, and so, you know, we've got a couple of problems here in that, you know, we're willing to look the other way in some of these places and let these businesses turn around and hire these people. And in other places, we're rounding them up and sending them out. Well, <clears throat> and this is, this is a huge, tricky topic right here. But as I more and more I thought about it, think about the Civil War, all right? And the big fight that they had over the issue of the North is saying, South, you can't have slaves anymore. All right, we're going to take away your labor force. Now, it's not too far of a jump to turn around and say, okay, the argument the South was making is if you take away the labor force, this cheap labor force, this free labor force, basically, mm -hmm. what's going to happen to the price of everything? And who's going to come in and replace these workers? Mm -hmm. Now we're in the same situation here. It's not slavery, but by the same token, We've brought all these people in here to do the work. We got the federal government under Operation Wetback came in and said, we're taking all these people out of here. 
And those people who had been using these people now turn around and say, well, what are we going to do? How, you know, are you expecting, you know, ever, the price, everything's going to go through the roof if you're going to have to pay, you know, a, a true minimum wage for people to work on the farms. And so it, it's a sticky wicket, uh, you know, and you hear this argument occasionally on the news even today. People are saying, who in the world is going to do all the work if you turn around and cut off all of this influx of immigrants and the next step send them all back let's take a phone call caller go ahead you're on the uh, daily show no, all right well lost him <clears throat> had you in there caller yeah. sorry about that 954 um <sighs> well and and think about this from a democrat demographic standpoint you know we have all the crime and everything taking place in the cities um you know, and and like you brought up, you know, we see the black community, you know, as saying, you know, well, they're they're the biggest minority. Guess what? They're not going to be. We keep, uh, you know, you're going to have all these illegal immigrants come in. Where are they taking them? They're taking them to the big cities. And guess what? The biggest minority in these cities very quickly is going to become the illegal immigrants. Let's take that call. Caller, go ahead. You're on the Daily Show. Good morning. Good morning. Hey, KB. Hey, Jim. It's your brother. Hi. Um, you know, you, you think about how they hired so many IRS agents um, and how much that cost. Mm-hmm. They spent that month hiring uh, immigration agents and helped with all the processing of visas and everything to streamline it so the people who do want to get here legally makes it much easier uh, and the people can be processed much better, maybe a thousand more. Well, that's that's a great point, Tom, and and you know this is the reason why they won't let you run for Congress. <laughs> I mean, you know, yeah, we'll, we hire what was it, eighty-seven thousand IRS people, mm-hmm. and we find ourselves right. sending fifteen hundred uh, military troops down to process paperwork. Well. Why don't we take the the eighty seven thousand IRS people, put them down there? There's your first job, and you start processing all these immigrants that are coming through. That's a great point, but again, this exactly. is yeah. that's common sense, and that's the reason why you need to just stay where you're at because uh, we don't <laughs> we don't need that kind of crazy talk taking place in Washington well, D.C. Yeah, I'll, I'll try to behave myself. All right, you go get another cup of coffee and sit down. You're you're done. Thank you, sir. Appreciate the <laughs> phone call this morning. I, I tell you, I. Yeah, let's let's at least put them to work. You know, right. those IRS agents. Let them go down there, and uh, they can help out with the the issues and the problems and everything that's going on. And let them decide. Uh, you know, whether or not. Oh, do they send them down armed? They're well, down. and you know, we're gonna we're gonna turn around and and use those IRS agents to come after uh, American taxpayers to squeak every penny they can at them, so we can throw more money into a program like this. And we're going to. Uh, we're going to completely and totally get rid of the Hunter Biden. Uh, oh yeah, that's the investigative team from the IRS that was supposed to go check. Nothing to see here, yeah. right? But, but you, me, anybody else, you right. know, We'll we'll uh, we'll squeeze it till there's no squeezing that can be done. It, it's it really is. It's beyond comprehension. And like I say, what I find so fascinating is that we have yet, I think, in all the years you and I have been doing shows, have yet to find a topic, a current topic, that we can't tie directly back oh, uh, to the past and see how we, how we screwed it up before. Well, let's do it again.
And like I say, right now we're in a uh, Operation Bracero type of situation where we're letting them all in. And at some point down the road, somebody's going to say, hold it. We need to fix this. Maybe the names have changed, but the basic premise is still the same. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's, you know, and that's really what triggered me to do this show is when, when, when I saw this happening, I remembered reading uh, uh, several uh, texts about this whole immigration issue. And bear in mind, this is, this is a unique situation. We didn't have a, an Operation Bracero uh, program for Europeans coming in during World War II. I mean, why, why Mexicans? Why, you know, we had, you know, people in, in France and, and Italy and Germany all fleeing Europe during World War II trying to get in here, and yet we had quotas on how many of them could come in. Well, the reason why is those people were going to expect to be paid a decent wage. What we did is we turned around and said, hey, there's all kinds of cheap labor. And the Mexican government itself, let's not miss that, mm-hmm. their Mexican president said, here, get these people out of here. I can't, I can't, I can't take care of them during the whole period. And so, you know, you can have as many of them as you want, and I'll, I'll help process them. I'll bring them up there and dump them off on the border for you. So, you know, again, big government. It's wonderful. Yes, yes, yes. Big government. It's it's wonderful. Thank you, big government. Yes. But unfortunately, we're the ones who have allowed it to get out of control. Could have stopped it. Could have done something about it. Now I got a I got a kids soccer game at uh, at five thirty. Yeah. Thank you, Jim. <laughs> All right. See you back you. here next week. You bet. And I will see you folks. Hopefully, uh, see some of you, or uh, you can see me, and uh, others can join us on the uh, on the other outlets that we have available have yourself a wonderful day we're back at it tomorrow 89.3 keyk osage beach missouri